Rule Breaker Investing. That's this podcast, appearing with at least one new episode every week since July of 2015 and counting. Well, since it's July again, that means we're now in our eighth year of Rule Breaker Investing. But Rule Breaker Investing goes back a long way before that. The investment frameworks and approach were developed in the 1990s. And then in 2004, Motley Fool Rule Breakers, the Fool's investment advisory service exhibiting this approach, was born October 2004. And last year, I handed over the reins of that service to the Rule Breakers team, most of which has been together from the start. Yep, 17 years later. And one of my former analysts now functions as senior analyst and lead advisor, Tim Byers. Well, Tim dropped me a note a few weeks back. Can we talk about Rule Breakers on Rule Breakers? It's been a while. I said, of course. So, fellow Rule Breaker, pull up a chair and stay a while as I talk about Rule Breakers with a Rule Breaker. Only on this week's Rule Breaker Investing. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. Welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. You know, in the late 1990s, operating first exclusively from AOL. Remember AOL? The 1990s were the decade that America went online. First exclusively from AOL, then increasingly from the web and fool.com. I was investing out front of anyone who would sign in, picking stocks, comparing our results to the market, sharing the wins and the losses, and beating up on the market averages. There were ups and downs, good times and bad, but all the way through, starting in my 20s, I was building a new investment approach, my investment approach, founded on breaking the rules of what, to me, was the conventionally wise investment approach that the majority were following. Call them Goliath. Well, my name's David, and I decided that if I played the game by Goliath's rules, by his conventional wisdom, I wouldn't win. We had to break the rules, and break the rules we did. And in 1998, our third Simon & Schuster bestseller, The Motley Fool's Rule Breakers, Rule Makers, as a book was born. I put forward my six traits of a rule breaker stock in that book. They're the exact same ones we still use today, 24 years later. Now, for some of you regular listeners, you know these things. You may have been with us back in our AOL days, but for many others, they may not know all these things. Well, more to the point this week, though, in October of 2004, six years after the Rule Breakers book came out, we launched the stock picking advisory service, Motley Fool Rule Breakers. And I headed it up for 17 years. And then, as I announced on this podcast a year ago, mentioned I was handing over the reins, refocusing so much of my own time on new things, not so much stock picking. Well, one of the people who took over leadership of Rule Breakers is Tim Byers, fellow longtime fool, Tim Byers. Tim dropped me a note on our corporate Slack. History will show it was at 11.23 a.m. Eastern on Monday, June 27th, and this is exactly what it said. Hi, David. Can I run an idea by you? How would you feel about an RBI podcast interview talking about rule breakers, where it is now, what's similar, what's different, etc.? Tim went on, I want people to know how much the product means to me personally and to all of us as a team. 
It may also just be fun to talk through some of the past lessons learned that we're applying now as we build out the scorecard. Do you think that would be interesting and or valuable? And the answer, welcoming back Tim Byers, Tim, is yes. And I'm delighted to have you spend a little time with us right in the middle of summer and talking about something that means a lot to you and a lot to me and lots to those who are listening to us right now. We have a lot of Rule Breaker members, uh, subscribers, listeners, and a lot of people who are probably hearing about it for the first time. So I thought, yeah, let's talk about it. How you doing, Tim? I'm doing well, David. It's really great to be here and to talk about this because it has been 17 years. I can't, I mean, it's going on 18 years. It'll be 18 years next year of my life where, um, you know, I've spent time with you and so many other great, I mean, I, I immediately go to Carl Thiel and Rick Bionaras who are still on the team and who have been with, you know, with me on that journey as long as you since the, since the beginning, but there's Aaron Bush, there's Matt Argersinger, there's Maria Gallagher, Emily Flippin. I, there's so many others who have been on Rule Breakers over the years. True. So it's it's been a real journey, but I love it as as much as yeah. I I don't. I'm really glad we're doing this because it gives me a chance to be a little bit effusive about this product that really. I, I sound sappy, but it it does mean a lot to me. It means a lot to me. It's where I got my start. Well, as thank a professional you, Tim. As a professional investor, I started literally in Rule Breakers because philosophically it was the place where I found like, okay, I like investing, but when we you sort of laid out what Rule Breakers is, like, that's me. Got it. That's, the, <laughs> that's where that's where I live, and so that's been the way that I invest in my own way for for all those years. Well, thank you, Tim, and thank you for your leadership as well, and for reaching out and wanting to join in. And obviously, it's been a crazy year for the stock market. Nothing that I would have expected or predicted. And I know we'll talk about that a little bit. But there's a third voice on this week's podcast. It's one that longtime listeners will be familiar with cameos here and there, but I thought it'd be great to have my own Rick. It's Rick Engdahl. It's it's our longtime producer. And Rick, the reason I thought it'd be wonderful to have you joining in as just an equal participant this particular week is because you have been a subscriber to Motley Fool Services, even though you happen to be an employer of ours. You've been a user um, of our content, our stock picks for years and years. So I just thought it'd be great because I think you really have the voice and perspective often of a member, him or herself. And I try to do that a lot too, but I don't do it as well as you. So, Rick, welcome. Great to have you appearing once again on Rule Breaker Investing this week. Always happy to be here. And yeah, it, it's hard for you to fill that role because you need a lot of ignorance to sit here and be looking at the service from a <laughs> perspective from the outside. You need to actually not know what you're doing, which is me. <laughs> well, and that is, of course, why Rick is so capital F foolish. That is the humility and perspective of of the full beginner's mind. And that's why it's a wonderful contribution this week. And, you know, Tim, as we talked about this conversation, you came up with a good, simple outline. We're going to use that. So you had three sections, and that's roughly how I'm thinking about the conversation this week. We'll see where we end up. But the first one is just about breaking the rules, the power of breaking the rules, what it means, why, why we love it, why it's natural for you and for me, breaking the rules. That's section one. Section two, the rule breaker's service itself. How is it changing? 
what elements endure. I can imagine, since there are some changing elements, that we'll get a lot of questions back. So I can I can sure. picture already, Tim, that I'm going to want to have you on this month's mailbag at the end of the month, because, dear listener, we really are trying to elicit any questions or um, perspectives that you have. I try to do that every week on this podcast, but probably particularly this week for either members of the service itself or people who might be interested in joining the service. So that is section two. And section three, hey, we got to talk stocks. So we're going to close it out with talking stocks. So Tim, thank you for just kind of organizing our, our conversation that way. Tim, you and I, well, we talked about this offline before the podcast, but you also like to zig when others are zagging. And you were giving me an example recently of something that you did as lead advisor in Rule Breakers that was a little bit of a zig because we're always breaking the rules. What'd you do? So we recently, one of our recent recommendations, uh, the ticker is XBI, which is a biotech ETF. And this came from, so a conversation, it was a one-off conversation um, I had with Carl. And every month, one of the things that has not changed is we always solicit ideas from the team. You were great at this. I used to be throwing in ideas. We would all throw in ideas. That process hasn't changed just the ideas come into me and then I'm making the final call. That's the only difference. And so one of these times, Carl, and I had asked him, said, I really want to get, because biotech is such an important industry in rule breakers. And I want to figure out how to do more. And he said, well, we could always go with XBI. And I asked him to expand a little bit and it turned into a zoom call. And, you know, it was, it just brought me so much joy because it felt very old school <laughs> in two ways. First, it was we were reconnecting and going through why this was such an interesting idea. And I knew that it was. It was zigging when everybody else is zagging. Like the, the idea would be, well, let's see if we can pick the very best biotech at a time when the market is such that you could be the best biotech, but if the, the money spigot turns off suddenly for reasons having nothing to do with your business you whatsoever, betcha. you could just die. And so Carl came up with this idea of like, well, there's still so many, so why don't we just bet on all of them? And we, you had done that before. You've done that in the past for clean energy. So we are like, oh, that's... That is so perfect. It's true, Tim. It's true because you know I, I I was I was about to say we didn't start rule breakers to pick funds, did we? But you're reminding me that I I've done that before, and indeed in this first section, breaking the rules. I mean, yeah, I think you put it pretty well before we were got on the podcast. You said you know you should expect the unexpected we as a member of Motley Fool yes. Rule Breakers. Rick yes. Rick is a is an is a Biotech ETF, what you expect as a member of Rule Breakers? Have you have you bought XBI yet? I have not, and it's, I, I don't. I, I try very hard not to expect anything in particular <laughs> because I'll, I'll be wrong. But um, but I, I am not uh, as likely to buy an ETF, although I probably should, especially in the biotech space, because I've tried a few biotechs just based on. They seem like they have a good idea or whatever based on the write-ups, and, and I've never been very successful with that. So I've learned to stay away from them altogether, but maybe maybe the fund would have been a smarter move on my part. I mean, I'll, let me say one last thing on it, and, and we could move on from it. 
this is one of those things like what, what we're always looking for in rule breakers, which I think has always been part of the service is something that the market or the public is looking at and you get the, uh, you know, your dog, your dog is adorable and gives you the sideways look like, oh, funny human. What is it you're doing? I don't really understand. If you get that reaction, to me, it always feels like you might be on to something. It, you can't be sure that you're on to something, but you might be on to something. And I love that. I, we do that a lot in Rule Breakers. You know, something that we did back in the day, uh, you could, I don't think we've done it in the last year, Tim. And my last five years, I don't think we did it at Rule Breakers, but it's an, another example of breaking the rules is that we would vote a stock out of the service. Mm -hmm. And it mm -hmm. wasn't the team. It wasn't you and me who decided no, it was to the do members. it. It was the members. We basically said, hey, dear members, you all are smart, which you are, listeners. And uh, here are all of our picks. You're a member of the service. You can see them. Which one are we getting wrong? And yeah. uh, and every time we would do that, and we did it not every year, but we did a bunch of years, uh, we would act on it. I mean, I yeah. always gave myself final discretion to say, heck no, you're not going to be able to sell this members voting, you crazy people. But they weren't crazy. It was not a mob or mob mentality. It, I think it did pretty well. But the ones we sold, we should have sold. And so another right. example of, of you know, doing, a, I would say kind of another example of us being the unservice, taking, taking a different approach. I would agree with that. I, I remember that. What did, we, we had a specific name for it. And I, it I was called remember. take that. That's it. It was take that because take it was that. partly precipitated by an encouragement to members to come onto the discussion board, onto yes. the forums and right. really pound on something. Take that. Yes. Uh, right. Usually in one to three frustrated paragraphs, cause they'd bought, taken our advice, bought the stock that they don't like, and now they want it out. Right. <laughs> and I mean, yes, I remember that. And there was something really great about getting that and just as a you know i know we do this partially for fun but i i, I want to make sure we make this point because what makes rule breakers work as an investment philosophy is that you are looking for white space in the market where the consensus is x and there's a really good chance that x is not true and y is actually true and when y is true the rewards of why being right are so good that mathematically, why doesn't have to be right very often for yeah. you to profit? Yep. So we don't just do this needlessly or to, ne to needle each other. It, it's, it actually, there's mathematics behind this. Tim, sticking with, with breaking the rules, I mean, I think a lot of our listeners listen to this podcast because that's an attractive notion to them. I mean, being yeah. a rule breaker, going against the conventional wisdom, Steve Jobs famously think different. I mean, there there is yep. a lot of value there, but I think part of it is that not everybody does that. In fact, if everybody did do that, that would be the rule. You kind right. of need to be in the minority in order to come at things from a rule breaker perspective. Briefly, was there some aspect earlier in your life, maybe as a boy or earlier in your professional career, where that rule breakery tendency began to take root in you? Yeah. And so I used to call this 
um, a little bit of, you know, sort of out there. I would actually call it a little bit of my, my crazy because sometimes the way I would be thinking, um, and, and, and I know this now because the way I've learned a little bit more about how my brain works, but sometimes the way I would describe it is like for, for some people, you know, like, one plus one equals two. And sometimes for me, like one plus one equals a space shuttle. I'm just thinking about <laughs> things very differently. And um, so this does come natural to me. And the way I, so I tend to think about, um, I tend to sort of go, go backwards. So I tend to invert naturally, like somebody, for a lot of people, you kind of have to force yourself. You do the Charlie Munger test and you say, well, if you want to know how you're going to get someplace, start by inverting. And I always started out there. Hmm. So I started thinking about, let me give you an example of a company that is on the Rule Breaker scorecard, where it's a good example of how I'm inverting um, led me to that company and why I still believe in it, which would be Snowflake. If you, there, there is a future that is observable um, where there's going to be so much data because the compound annual growth rate of data today is, is about 53%. It is, it's overwhelming. There's an overwhelming amount of data out there. So if you were to invert from where, you know, let's say 10 years out, let's not assume that data is going to keep growing at that rate. But at some point, there, there has to be a tipping point where you find a better way to do more with the data that you have, or you choose to not do anything with any of the data. So let's assume for a minute that not doing anything with the data is a, is a bad choice. That's a, that's a, 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 cost bearing, you know, choice for you to make. So you want to do something with it. Well, if you want to do something with it, then there has to be some platform by which you capture it and have a way to share it and, and, and utilize it. And Snowflake has some really good tools that are economically attractive for a customer to make use of, of data. So, I start from the perspective of, well, does this, it's, it's a little bit like what, I mean, I've heard you say this many times before, David, which is, you know, in invest, I'm probably butchering your words here, but invest in, in the world that you want to see, you know, that, that future where Snowflake exists is an interesting future and it has a very big role to play there and the model by which it plays I think gives it an outsized portion of the data that exists and can be served in, into that world. So it makes me really like the company a lot. Now there's way more we could go down the path of Snowflake, but just inverting, you know, where the company could be is, um, is natural to me. I, I think about that quite a and bit. I think that's a critical aspect of being a rule breaker and being a rule breaker thinker is to do that probably by nature. Um, if it doesn't come to somebody by nature, and it doesn't all the time come to any of us by nature, a lot of the time, our habits, our habits of thought, we, we, we don't instantly question or flip things around. But but even if you don't find yourself doing it naturally, you can do it with intention. You can flip things around. We, we've often done that. 
Um, any bull case, we try to give the bear case as well. Right. As writers, editors, publishers, analysts. Uh, that's always been a Motley Fool thing, Rick Engdahl, is you know, the bull and the bear. And so that's an example of having to kind of invert your thinking and, and thinking about things from a, a different direction. Snowflake, uh, with a lot of the market, we're going to talk about this later, is certainly down. I, I yeah. can't remember what our cost is, but since the stock is around 150 as we talk today and Wow, I mean, it IPO'd around three hundred just uh, yeah, two years ago, so it's been, yeah. been about cut in half. And so, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the market, but Tim, in particular, as we start to shift from rule breaker talk onto the service itself now, which is where we're shifting the conversation. But as we leave that by, I, I want to give you some props because somewhere in two thousand eight nine, you were bringing to the team this new word, this new concept, kind of like what you just did with data right there, and it was cloud. And you're like, it's about the cloud. It's going to be <laughs> about the cloud. And I, I guess because I'm in the circles I am, I, I'd somewhat heard of it, but didn't really think about it or hadn't grokked where things were headed. And uh, and I think, I think I was still ahead of a lot of the rest of the world, even knowing about it. But Tim, you were there seeing ahead of time kind of the need. In some ways, it's all this data you're talking about even now a couple decades later, but the need to shift from hard drives on our local PCs, the incredible cost advantages and benefits, et cetera, from, from the cloud. And boy, if that hasn't ever come to be the case. Well, the Molly Fool and its services, in a sense, exist in the cloud in that you use your computer to tap into a Motley Fool rule breakers, and it's it's up there, and we have that stored, and probably with Amazon Web Services somewhere. But Tim, if I'm new to rule breakers, why am I subscribing to Motley Fool rule breakers? What does the service offer? So we are looking at high quality companies that are disrupting the incumbents in their industries. They are breaking the rules in some meaningful way, and. Sometimes that leads to tech companies. Sometimes that leads to biotech companies. Sometimes it leads to great consumer companies. Sometimes it leads you to really unexpected places. I'll mention and see if Rick remembers this, a profitable rule breaker from many years ago that was an airline. Rick, do you remember what it was? I'm going to guess Southwest. Was it Southwest? It was not Southwest. David, do you remember? I know you remember. David. I think I do. I'm going to go with Virgin. It was. It was It was Virgin, uh, bought by Alaska Airlines for a very healthy premium on the Rule Breaker scorecard. So you never know where the rule breaking is going to happen. You never know where the disruption is going to happen. But that's what we're looking for. We're looking for a business model, a technology, an idea, a, a, a clinical drug something that is fundamentally disruptive and has a chance to generate an extraordinary amount of benefit to the world and wealth to investors. Well said. For somebody who is not yet a Rule Breakers member, if they're interested in the conversation we're having this week, anybody can order a Motley Fool service simply by going to fool.com forward slash services. Forward slash services. So Fool.com, and you, you can, even if you just go to fool.com, you'll probably find our services. But if you go to fool.com slash services, you'll find all the Motley Fool's different services. And one of them is the one that we're talking about this week. And so as we move to kind of part two of our conversation, Tim and Rick, um, I think, Tim, part of your inspiration for slacking me a couple of weeks ago was to talk about 
aspects of the service that endure and aspects that are changing. I'll let you dive in wherever you want with that setup question, but that's what we should talk about now. Yeah, let's let's talk about what's the same. Because one of the things I love about rule breakers is the process. I think it's it's easy to think that what we're doing is going for the craziest growth companies and just sort of putting them on the scorecard. Since the beginning, the, the format that you set up for us, David, was we had this disciplined set of meetings once every month, once every quarter, and then once a year. And they were, um, the, the once a month is called Stock Talk, and that still exists. And so the team gets together and we are pitching around stock ideas. And what I loved about it, and inevitably when we would, I, I always used to love this, when we would vi- invite in analysts from other services and they came in to see the no holds barred death match that is stock talk. I use that loosely, <laughs> but it is kind of like that. And I do, I do love this. It would be fun, Rick, if you came in one time because there's a clock. And you're on the clock and you have to make your best case in, let's say, I mean, there were times when it was three minutes, really not so much like that anymore, but think generally like five minutes when you have to make your best case. Nothing clarifies your thinking than having to be on the clock, make a good case in five minutes or less knowing that hard questions are coming, not just from the lead advisor, but from your teammates. And this continues throughout the meeting. So I think it's a wonderful mechanism. And I used to love it when we would have analysts who'd come in and be like, I only get five minutes. (laughs) What do you mean I only get five minutes? And I thought, I, I really think it's one of the great clarifying processes we have. It does not mean that you can come up with a great stock idea in five minutes. It just means you're kind of focusing in on the point that, um, you know, I would have short written a shorter letter if I'd had more time, <laughs> right? It's, yeah. it's that well, idea. As I, as I once said or wrote, um, great stocks don't make you think. Um, often, right. The ones that stand out most as the generational stocks are doing really big, evident things in the world. It shouldn't take some kind of elaborate, long, uh, forty-eight slide co- convincing. I think to buy. I won't say every great stock, but a lot of the great ones that we've featured and right. try to feature at, at Rule Breakers. Do, do you ever lose a good idea because you flubbed the five-minute presentation? I mean, <laughs> it seems like a lot of pressure on the presentation rather than the uh, the, the stock itself. So. I would say. I have. I mean, I would say it took me, how long did it take me to get to make a convincing argument? I, I do remember this because it took me a while. You, and In fact, I remember you gave me credit for this at one point, David, where I just could not let it go with HubSpot. I just couldn't let it go. It was like a rabid dog and would not <laughs> let it go. And, and, um, Well, one of the things that I was doing back then, Tim, and I'm sure it works somewhat similar today, but I won't speak for it, is I would encourage each member of the team to bring one or two of their best ideas. If you were recommending stock this month, this upcoming month at Rule Breakers, what would it be? 
And uh, and I generally would encourage people to kind of bounce it around a different stock from one month to the next. So I had an ever-changing set of ice cream flavors. But sometimes, in this case, Tim would just keep going, vanilla. Nope, vanilla. Next month, (laughs) vanilla or whatever it is. We could say pistachio, pistachio. And so HubSpot was an example of that for you. Yeah. And it made the service and it made our members some good money. And it, it, uh, but to answer your question, Rick, like I just was not breaking, breaking through. And so, yes, sometimes that does happen. But I think overall, the clarifying nature of Stock Talk is, is really great. We give a little bit more time now because it used to be back in the day you could bring or you were encouraged to bring in any given month. I think at one point we had the terrific threes, then yeah. we went to the terrific twos, then we went to the wonderful ones. Exactly. So now, now we're bringing one new idea a month for each team member. So there's a little bit more space to make your argument. And I think that's I, I think that's actually a little bit better because the scorecard's pretty big. You know what's fun? This is kind of an inside baseball talk. I'm certainly enjoying it. I hope our listeners are too. But you're describing our internal processes. Now, yes. most of what you've just talked about in the first five minutes or so here, Tim, are things that we do or continue doing internally that yes. a member like Rick m- may never know or hear about. The, the phrase, terrific three, which is an... It, Three to go. Yeah, which is which is a ridiculous phrase that I invented. <laughs> was in an era of rule breakers where Tim and Rick and Carl and others were asked to bring their best three ideas every month. And right. at a certain right. point, I decided they're working too hard. I'm working too hard. We're only coming up with one or two new stocks each month. Why am I getting twelve new? Six? We just go with six. So we went with terrific twos, which is easier to say and also easier to do than terrific threes. But right. but maybe Tim, maybe speak to where the service is today facing members a member like rick yep. what what continues and i i signed in today it the screen looks different than than it did yeah. uh, last time i signed in so there are obviously at least some visual improvements happening it's not orange anymore it's not orange anymore I it's know. supposed to be orange what i want to file my complaint here it's not orange edition <laughs> <laughs> yeah i do i i'm wearing i mean i know people can't see it but i'm wearing my orange hat because i always considered this my my rule breakers fool hat um i sometimes wear it on on fool live but yes so things that are that are similar that that um you know members continue to see we have a uh, a new recommendation on the second and fourth thursday of every month, the, the second Thursday, that's a re-rec, and that has not changed. And then the fourth Thursday is a new stock. And so you'll see that the cadence continues. There are Lovely. still two stocks every every month. And I like keeping the re-rec, David, because as we know, very often, especially when you have as many stocks as we have in the rubric or scorecard, you're going to find a lot of great ideas inside of what you already own. And so I've been delighted that we've been able to re-rack recently Alphabet because it's the price is ridiculous considering just how much growth is embedded in, in that business. Um, we re-racked uh, Arista Networks recently. So I like going back through the scorecard to surface names that are that are interesting. So that's that's remains the same. I'm glad that to case. hear that because I I've admittedly always been kind of a cult of the new person. And so what's yeah. the new trick? What's the new stock? And but really it is true, Tim. For years ago we did shift to this new model that yes. you're describing. And I do think it's a reminder that sometimes your best stock isn't some brand shiny new thing, Rick Engdahl. It's 
it's maybe the one that you brought to the dance in the first place that might be a little bit better off than when you first bought it because we often like to add to winners. Rick? Well, it's and, and also the fact that it's a, a re-rec from you doesn't mean it's not new to me. Um, I don't right. buy everything you pick. And so, so you know, if I'm looking to buy something, I want to know what's best. I don't really care if you've wrecked it before. Right. Yeah. And in a lot of cases, there's there's real delight for me personally in rediscovering a business that has changed for the better. And in the case of Alphabet's a good example of a business that's changed for the better. Google Cloud has become a real meaningful player. When we first recommended it, there was no Google Cloud. There was no Alphabet. There was just Google. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, David... It go that rec goes back so far that there wasn't even multiple share classes for Google yet. Yeah, and I kind of wish there still weren't. Uh, Google, yeah. one, one, Alphabet, one of the companies that started to say we need to have two different share classes, then we end up with two different ticker symbols: Zillow, yes, uh, right. Google, uh, and you know. Anyway, but that's a whole separate topic. But yes, I, part of what that reminds me, Tim, is just how long we have tended to keep these recommendations in place. Absolutely often for our very best companies. And I think that's what leads to winning investing. And I think a lot of listeners know that. And a lot of members have appreciated that. Even if, speaking of appreciation, we've had a lot of depreciation in value over the last year because of this crazy market that we're living through that we'll move to in a bit. But let's stick with the conversation a little bit more. Tim, what is what, what feels new to you? Would you like to preview or mention anything that's changing about the Rule Breaker service? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that's changing is you're seeing now these the way the site changed there's there's a lot more unification across all of the motley fool services and Wonderful. so you're seeing so you're seeing some nomenclature that's going to be similar across all services and one of those changes is rankings um rankings is a term that that tom gardner likes likes a lot he does like to rank things in fact I don't think I think Tom could rank like tacos if he wanted to like <laughs> one to five. Like I think I think he ranks everything, um, which is kind of fun that he that he does that. I'm not the biggest believer in in ranking stocks because it's hard to tell sometimes the difference between number one and say like number three. There may not really be much difference. And, you know, number three may become number one before too long here. So you don't want to over-index to that. However, the way we're doing it, we're keeping the structure, the back-end structure of Best Buys now. And so without going too far down the, the rabbit hole here, the way we always did Best Buys now is we voted on them. And we have either eight or nine contractors and the whole team who votes. And everybody brings in their ideas and they put in a certain amount of weighting to each idea. And if that sounds like something you could actually do some math to come up with a rankings list, you are correct. That actually really works. And so we keep the spirit of everything we always did with Best Buys now. In other words, everybody brings their Best Buys. Everybody provides their weighting. And then we do some math to create yep. a one to 10 list. And so going forward, it's not going to be a Best Buys Now list. It will be a largely quantitative, although I'll have some veto power in those one to 10. And then we're going to use it as a mechanism. So that'll be like, hey, here's a list of conviction stocks 
you know, stocks that we think the, these businesses are really interesting. And if you don't own them, you may want to take a look at putting okay. some money to work in one of these businesses. And then we can use that one to 10 list. So what I'm hearing is that Best Buy is now, is now called Rankings. It is called <laughs> is that, Rankings. Is it as simple as that? I mean, is, as a user, is that what I need to know? Is I used to look for Best Buys now. Now I look for Rankings. Now you look for rankings and um, I would encourage, so as a, as a user of the service, I would not encourage you to buy all 10 stocks. I think that's a misuse of it. What I would say is on that list of one to 10, if one of those 10 you don't own and you have a regular practice of putting money to work in the stock market, the one that you don't own may be a great opportunity to add a new stock to your portfolio. And then how we'll do the other way we'll we'll use we'll make this a usable tool for members, Rick, is um, in those ten there may be like two that we haven't really looked at recently, or where there may be some news, and we'll use the release of the new rankings to take a look at it. You know, so let's I'm gonna just throw out a random name. Let's say Viva Systems makes the top 10, the next top 10 list. Great. You know, we haven't published anything on Viva Systems in a while. Let's take a look at it and write a few graphs about it so that as a mechanism to let give members a way to put new money to work and remind them about stocks that they may not know anything about, the ranking system can be a very useful tool. So that's... That's how Best Buys now is shifting, but I want to shift it in a way that is useful to the members, but also keeps all of the mechanism and spirit that was great about the Best Buys now voting process. Thank you for that. It, as you as you have that exchange, it reminds me to mention to our listeners that we'd love to hear from you. So, of course, the mailbag at the end of every month is an opportunity for anybody listening to drop us a note and um, offer an observation question poem, rule-breaking thought, the list goes on what we get every month in the mailbag. But I think it, I bet we're occasioning a lot of questions this particular week. So I can imagine we'll focus a fair amount of this month's mailbag, Tim, if you'll come back at the end of the month on totally. questions on questions that we get arising from this very conversation. So that's just my quick reminder to listeners. Our email address is rbi at fool.com. By the way, just mentioning again, another quick way to find Rule Breakers is rbioffer.fool.com. That's a quick, easy URL. If, you, if you're not already a member of Rule Breakers, would like to try it out for free, rbioffer.fool.com. Tim Byers, before we move on, is there anything else you'd like to add about the Rule Breakers service? Yeah, I want to, since, since we're asking for feedback and questions, so there are other things that have changed. Like shortly after you left, David, um, a long-held tool that was unique to rule breakers um well i guess not unique to rule breakers but it really started with rule breakers um went away and that was were the risk ratings and sometimes i hear that there is a an and a desire or a longing to bring those back so if you if you uh send in your question let us know i personally want to know like do you miss rule you know, rule breaker risk ratings. I mean, I will tell you my view of what they did for us, David, and I would love for you to I actually love for both of you to 
weigh in as whether or not you thought they were were useful. Here's what what I thought they were were useful for. I thought they were a useful mechanism for deciding how much was an appropriate level of capital to put to work. So like, for example, if on a scale of 25, if the company was like a 20, meaning it wasn't quite an eggshell in terms of hardness, but it was really risky. And so if it avoided getting crushed, this was the kind of stock that had even better than 10x potential to it. It was just potentially unlimited. It could be crazy, but the odds of it going to zero were also pretty high. So that's the kind of company you don't necessarily need to put a lot of money into. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's a nice way of articulating what, what risk ratings were doing. In fact, the, the word we were using was crushability. We tried to make mm-hmm. it um, uh, understandable to anybody, even if they don't care about the stock market. And so it's a lot easier, as you just mentioned him, to crush an eggshell than right. it would be carbon steel. And right. so we, we tried to translate the number of the risk rating, and it did take numerical form into a crushability index so people could go, wait, is this more like a, an eggshell or like a car. And right. so, so I, I think that, that I, I think that that was a useful feature. I can imagine because I've done some podcasts here about risk ratings. You'll probably get some people who say, yeah, I'd love to have it back. But one thing I always respect so much about our company is that we have all the data. I might think something is amazing or I might think something's horrible. Whatever I think I like to check and see the data. Yeah. So usually the right. decisions that we make at The Motley Fool are very data-driven. And if something seems cool and it's not getting any clicks, or if something seems uncool, but for some reason everybody's clicking it, that really does influence our developmental decisions. Rick, do you have any thoughts, anything to add? Yeah, specifically to the risk ratings, uh, everything I know about them is from the shows we've done on the, you know, the podcast the episodes that we've done on them. And I love the methodology. I love the fact that there's an actual definition for what risk is and how it's so well thought through. Personally, as a member, I don't necessarily need to see it. I'm just glad you guys do it. And I'm glad that it is reflected in the way you talk about the, you know, you review the stock. So it's, at least for me personally. You don't need to see our homework. I don't need to see your homework. I just like to know that it's been done. <laughs> I'm an easy teacher. I'm an easy teacher. <laughs> well, it is something, and, and again, listeners who'd like to just Google Rule Breaker Risk Ratings, Rule Breaker Investing Podcast, you'll see, um, I think I did one last year, just sort of updating, uh, putting it back out there for anybody who wanted to see the framework. It's a 25-question yes or no framework. Same right. framework applied to every every stock. Obviously, as its inventor in some ways, I, I, I love it, but I'm also more than happy for anything that I've stood up to be uh, tweaked, changed, knocked down, or or invested in. It, it, a lot of these things are tools, and the real question is who wants to pick it up and use it and, at any given time, does it make sense? Does it help the world invest better? And you've given those, you've given that tool to us, so we can do it ourselves if we want to. I mean, it's there on the podcast. But more than anything, it's just like there's it's, a term like risk is something that's often thrown around without anybody really defining what they mean by it. And I love the fact that that the risk ratings really define what you guys mean by risk. That, that's, Thank you, and yeah, that really helpful. was the spirit, and is the spirit of it. And I really do appreciate your point, Rick. That. You're counting on us to do it, which surely we do. In fact, Tim, you've been talking about processes that are part of how we do what we do at Motley Fool Rule Breakers, which continue 
but a lot of them are not member facing. So, you, you know, but yeah, we, and we're going are. through all these motions just like we always did. And I think having a good process is so important. Oh, it's huge. And there are other tools like that, that a member does not see, but we still use them. So we, one of our quarterly meetings is upcoming, which is the penalty box meeting. And there's another tool that we have there that you invented again here, David, called the Boxomatic. And we still use the Boxomatic. It's a cute name. It sounds like it's, you know, sort of a little toy, but it's not. It's like a 19 question tool in which we go through to see is this company fulfilling what we hoped it would be? And if it isn't, then maybe we need to put it in the penalty box, or in some cases, we need to sell it. Yep. It's not always that a sale is preceded by running the boxomatic. But I will tell you, it's happened very often that the Boxomatic has been something we could refer to to say, yeah, this one's not working and, and we got rid of it. So there, these tools, I, I, I am a process-driven investor and I love that Rule Breakers always had a pretty rigorous process. And so the Rule Breakers that exist to this day still has rigorous processes that will always as long as i have a say that will always be true because your process will help determine your results yeah uh, well and you're talking to another process driven person and somebody who for whom that was necessary because to to Absolutely. pick to pick five best buys now or 10 ranked stocks or a brand new stock or a re-rack stock month in and month out and beat the market over years, I think you have to have ways to do that to make you the most effective you can be and the most efficient with that. And I think for me anyway, it's much much more likely to happen with process than licking our thumb and holding it up in the wind the day before we need to make a pick and uh, and hoping the wind is blowing the right direction. Well, Tim and Rick, thank you for that portion of our conversation. Let's close it out with Stock Talk. Uh, we're not going to formally do how we do stock talk. There's no timer on anybody, and I'm not asking Rick or Tim to pitch anything. But I guess I should start with this, Tim. Uh, wow, the stock market over the last year. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's been, it's been brutal. It's been brutal, especially for rule breaker stocks and and our rule breaker frameworks and investing approach. I many a time in 2022 pointed out to anybody who wants to listen to me on this podcast that. I'm down about half from where I was a year ago. Um, yeah. I say that with a straight face as a professional. Uh, and it's happened to me before. And here's the bad news. It's going to happen to me again, uh, probably more than once uh, before I leave this earth. So it's just, I think, part of being an investor, somebody who puts on the clothes of their stocks, wears those, whether their team wins or loses that day, they wear it the next game back to the stadium. They keep wearing the clothes, you're going to have good times and bad. The good news and the reason we keep the clothes on and stick with our stocks is because the market tends to go up over time, around 9% or so. Rule breaker stocks, Rick and Tim, have tended to do better than that 9%. And I think the history of our scorecard and a lot of our services proves that uh, with real math. And anybody who's a member can see all of our good and bad picks and see how we've averaged overall. Let me just tip off our, I don't know, 10 minutes or so on stocks with a recent pick I was thinking a little bit more about. Um, I want to say, before I say what I'm going to say right now, I am not actively researching stocks. I truly did step away from that uh, about a year ago. 
Um, I love it. I'll always do it some, but I'm not really spending my time trying to figure out what the next great thing is. I really, I found that over the course of time, just something I didn't want to keep doing the 20 more years than the 29 I'd already done it. So that disclaimer out of the way, Bumble. Bumble mm. looks to me, it's it's a rule breaker. It's on our scorecard. But I heard something recent that made me like it even a little bit more. Now, Bumble, for those who don't recognize it, ticker symbol BMBL. By the way, we talked about Snowflake earlier, ticker symbol SNOW. But Bumble is a social media platform right. that's a dating and matchmaking platform. And um, by women for women is, is a fair way of generalizing about Bumble. It's, it's bigger than that. But for the most part, you need to be invited in by a woman right and i think that that creates a safe space that creates i think a niche i think there's yep. strength to that but it got a little stronger in my mind when i heard from a female friend that and she's new in the city she just moved to and she said you know what else bumble does it matches you just with friends like i'm not looking to date anybody here i'm asking who are some other women who have the same interest I do, and they're using Bumble for that, and and that's, oh, that's part interesting. of that's part of the functionality. And that made me start thinking: Is this a bigger idea and a bigger rule breaker than we initially thought? And you both know that I always love companies that can be transformative, including themselves. They can transform, Absolutely. as Tim mentioned earlier. Google transformed Alphabet. Amazon has transformed any number of times. And again, I'm not. I really haven't looked much at Bumble, so it's, it's as much a question, but is this something interesting, this rule breaker pick? Is this something new worth paying attention to? And We can leave that rhetorical, Tim. It's not like you spent any prep time before this, this call thinking about Bumble. but I think that's fascinating, and I, I think folks who've heard me talk know. I mean, let's be clear. Like I came onto the rule breakers team as the guy who was bringing the dense – deep tech i'm excited about things that nobody understands guy like <laughs> and 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 i i'm still that person but one of the things that translates very well from tech to all rule breakers and applies here as well for bumble is that when you find a tech company that is able to serve a particular niche and then they it's it's like there's a great question arguably the best question of all questions in all of the Motley Fool investment guide is this. How does a company make money? How do they make more money than that? You Thank know you. what that describes? That describes optionality. That's what optionality is. How do I make money? Now, how do I make more than that? If a company is able to successfully say, well, we do this, if, if you are HubSpot, which we talked about before, and you say, look, we've got this inbound marketing platform, and we can help you with your sales, and we can help you with building your website, and we can help you with your social media. Now, you don't need to go out and acquire a whole bunch of companies. You have just found a, a way to create a lot more value for the customers that already love you. And so, so David, I think what's interesting about what you described with Bumble is I guess it's an open question. Have they just found a way to create more value for the customers that already love them? If the answer is yes, boy, is that interesting. Well, and this is just one example from one company. Part of what I've always loved 
about Motley Fool Rule Breakers is we have so many interesting companies. These are generally the impact players in our economy because even if they're not as big as they're not all as big as Alphabet, that's that's for sure. Even if they're they're a tiny thing compared to AT and T, they're often the innovator. They're the ones who are breaking new ground. Sometimes they've got blue ocean out front of them in a way that. I don't know, the yeah. stodgy old players, the Comcasts of the previous era don't necessarily, not to talk down Comcast, it's actually evolved in a lot of ways. But so, through to go, maybe I should have said IBM, but even that's not fair. But my, my main point is I love the smaller fry innovators and the ones, Tim yeah. and Rick, that become big from a small place. Those have been what drive our portfolio returns is Rule breakers, Rick. I, I I'd be remiss if I didn't ask. Do you have a particular favorite rule breaker, either in your portfolio or any new company that's that's caught your attention? Um, I was actually just looking. So so imagine so, given this conversation and given the new rule breaker site, I thought, well, if I'm picking something today, what would it be? And I went to that ranking site and I was looking at that. And what are these companies that might uh, reflect the future that I want in my portfolio. You know, that, yeah. That's my way. I, I think in these big picture ways, that's, I really buy into that idea because I'm more interested in uh, building this portfolio over time as opposed to watching the ups and downs, which are not fun to watch right now. So, yep. <laughs> but, but then it's funny because when I look at those rankings, the one that stands out to me is like, well, really the big hole for me right now is that spider that you're talking about, that XBI, the biotech. And uh, when I look at, you know, I already own Google, I already own Roku, I already own a lot of these that are here. And so the one that's staring back at you. Yeah, the one that's staring back at me, like, this is what our future needs. And yet, this is a big hole in my portfolio. I might have to give that a closer look. Very interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. I mean, that that's a great way to use rankings of what is my portfolio need? What is interesting to me if I have some capital to put to work? That's a that's a really great way to use it, Rick. I I hope more people are thinking that way. Like I've got some capital. What's staring back, staring at me in the face, and mm -hmm. and making me think a little bit. I I love that as a way to use the tool. Let's go down that list as it exists today. So there's a company on there that um, I mean, both of you know. I've been bullish on this company for a really long period of time, and I still am. And and it, it's an example of inverting here, so we can do we can kind of do both here. That's MongoDB. It's on the list. It's a, it's a loser right now, and it's taken a real beating from you know the very premium valuation it had. It it got to in in 2020, and it pulled back significantly. But here's the thing, you know, when you look at MongoDB as a company, so if we're if we're just taking that that process of inverting. What are the odds? Would would either of you say that the seventy billion dollars in annual spend on database software annually um, is going to go exclusively to the relational database technology that was originally invented in the nineteen seventies and is still useful and has been extended over a very long period of time? It's still useful. It's not going away. But for the newer ways that we are capturing and using data for things that are live, like applications that have to exist today, that you know grapple with a lot more and different types of data, is it more likely that the old paradigm relational database is going to capture the the vast majority of that seventy billion, or maybe 
like 90% of it, while 10% of it goes to the new paradigm, which is NoSQL, which is where MongoDB leads? I think the answer is there's like a 0% chance that, you know, the, the share of money that's going to NoSQL is going to go down. It's going to go up. And as it goes up, that is a net win for MongoDB. So, yes, it is not cheaply valued. Well, but, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you answered your own question, Tim. I thought I probably knew what the right answer was based on how you couched the question. <laughs> but this is an area of specialization for you and not for me and not for probably a lot of people listening, although we have some serious database demigods among our membership and listeners. That is so true. That is um, so true. And, and we're reminded of that every day through one of the favorite features I've always loved about The Motley Fool, which is our discussion boards and the forums that we that we host around individual stocks or just overall approaches yep. to the market. Well, friends. This has been a lot of fun. All good things must come to an end. But Tim, one thing that we talked about earlier is that we might take some questions about the Rule Breaker service yes. and, uh, and feature those on the mailbag at the end of this month. So it's a reminder to everybody listening, if we sparked a new question for you, occasion to thought, we'd love to hear from you. RBI at fool.com is the email address. I already mentioned RBI offer fool.com if you'd like to try out the service that Tim's been talking about. If you're not quite sure about Rule Breakers, but you'd like to see what The Motley Fool offers, well, that's, as we said earlier, fool.com slash services, a way for you to find out all of our offerings. Um, Rick, I want to thank you for your cameos and for being such a capital F foolish investor. Rick, what was your first day at The Fool roughly? January 3rd, 2000, I believe. That's 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 pretty specific. Thank you. So so um, whether or not you were starting investing that first day, or waited for a few years, or came to us as an investor, I know one thing: you've been investing for a long time at this point. Definitely, after I arrived, I, everything I know about it, I've learned from y'all. So it's great. Well, thank you. That's true of a lot of people listening right now. And by the way, we all have more to learn, which is. At the heart of everything we do at The Fool, I think it's intellectual curiosity, specifically curiosity about the future and where it's headed and how we can make it head in the best place that we can. Well, again, thank you, Tim. Thank you, Rick. I want to thank everybody for tuning in here. We're right in the dead of summer. So I don't know if that means we have three times the listenership because everybody's at the beach listening to podcasts or maybe everybody's away. But I know this. I had a great time. Thank you so much, Tim, for leaning in and being with us this week on Rule Breaker Investing. It was great. I really appreciate it, David. Thanks for indulging my my question and letting me uh, express my um, my long term love for Motley Fool Rule Breakers. Long may it continue. Thank you, and you're helping it do so every day. And um, th some things will endure, and some things will change. I don't think we can expect or want anything more from life. The aim is always to be constantly improving things. So. Um, I hope that that's the service experience of a lot of people hearing us today. And if not, hey, drop us an email. How can we make it better? Okay. Well, I hope everybody has a great rest of your week. Talk about making it better. Fool on. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.